in Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Art Stone, and with me as always is your co-host, Andy. Imagine all the co-hosts. What do you think? Living on the air. <laughs> you may say I'm annoying. <laughs> well, you're not the only one. <laughs> I hope someday you'll stop saying that because it hurts my feelings. Wow, Bunk Funkers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today, got a great topic for you. Oh, a classic. All the way Scott's from... mystery. <laughs> All the way from Liverpool. We're going to be discussing the ki- the death of John Lennon. The murder of John Lennon. Me, they murdered me. Ooh. Ooh. Um, Ooh, they killed the, me. The death of John Lennon, Andy. This was a uh, huge blow to many people. And to John Lennon's body. <laughs> And <laughs> music career, yeah, really did. hard to do. Stop. Hard to hard to do, to make music from the afterlife. Um, <laughs> is it? And, well, as far as we know. But Andy, what we're what we're discussing is not only the whole enchilada on the story of of how Mark David Chapman murdered John Lennon in cold blood outside of his home, but possibly that the CIA or the government was some way involved in the killing. Yeah. There's a little more. Uh, there's a little more uh, meat on this bone than a little heft here. Maybe you're aware of Bunk Funkers. This is another installment of our music conspiracy s- series. So uh, we hope you uh, enjoy Bunk Funkers. But uh, if you can't wait to, um, you know, all you need is the whole enchilada. So if you can't wait to get a little something, you know, if you can't, if you got a, if you got a coming through the bathroom window. Stroking your Norwegian wood, Andy, to get some of this whole enchilada on the on the death of John Lennon. I mean, what here's what I'm doing. Ula di lula da. You can check out the timestamp. Because it's in the show notes. It's right there. It's always there. And it'll let you know when the research begins. It'll do that. You and can take you right to it. It'll take you right to it, and your bird can sing, bunk funkers. <laughs> it'll say, Michelle, my bell. Um... So, um, hop on over Abbey Road and, uh, 
Yeah. You know, and come together. Get back. Like, get back a little bit first. Right. But then come together and we'll all enjoy the whole enchilada together. Yeah, we'll just let it be. <laughs> I mean, and we're going to be doing this for a long time, you know? I'll be doing this when I'm 64. Yeah, well, I mean, somebody called the tax man because, <laughs> yeah. I mean... They're not going to put me out to pasture. I'm not going to be out at Strawberry Fields. I got I mean, a ticket to ride straight to the whole enchilada. You know what I'm saying? You, <laughs> I, if you follow that, you follow that timestamp. You're going to get a ticket to ride to the whole I enchilada. I hear you. I hear you. Anyway, Buckfuckers, go ahead. Uh, a magical conspiracy tour. <laughs> uh, we're walruses. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, bulldog. Okay, now we're just listing titles. Uh, Bugfuckers, we got to update you on our daddy's lore. <laughs> Life of the daddies. Daddies. Daddy's lore. Daddy's lore. Daddy's lore. Daddy's law. Daddy's lore. Daddy's law. Setting down the law. That's a good segue, Andy, because we kind of set down the law today with one of our kids. Yeah, we had, uh, we had, uh, we had an experience, okay? You know, this is a first for us two daddies. Yeah. Um, you know, we're at that age, obviously... Uh, Art, you know, Bunkfunkers, you're aware. Art and I are two daddies now. We are co-parenting, uh, but we do not have sex with each other. That's true. Uh, and we are not attracted to each other. Uh, not in any way. And we share a bed and we share parenting responsibilities, but we do not fuck. Yeah, no. And it's it's a very funny kind of bed, like in Willy Wonka on the Chocolate Factory. Charlie's grandparents live in a bed. So we mm -hmm. sit, uh, we sit ass to mouth, essentially, is how we sit in the bed. So... We each represent one pair of uh, Charlie's grandparents. Art Art is the Art is the genuinely um, invalid uh, grandparents. Yeah, and I'm piece of shit Grandpa Joe, yeah. who the true villain of Willy Wonka just, the Chocolate Factory, who just lays around in his own urine for no reason. Uh, could eats, easily get out of bed. Cabbages and onions could easily get out of bed, but chooses not to because True. he'd rather lay in his pool of his own urine instead of getting a job, helping the family in any way, shape, or form. Obviously, he's a very capable, able old man. Mm -hmm. He he was fucking around in that in that chocolate factory the whole goddamn movie, right? And he never fucking once thought, "Hey, I'm going to lift a finger, no, and help my family, and I'm going to put it all on this fucking little kid, right?" Who's just trying to enjoy his life, and that's me. Yeah, that's that's, that's me. That's who I represent as Grandpa Joe. So. We we do sleep in the same bed, Willy Wonka style. Uh, Charlie Charlie whatever his name was from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory style bed, grandparents yeah. bed. Um, and uh, but we don't fuck. No, ass to mouth only. Right, and that's not eating each other's asses. No, stop no. saying that. It's just how we sleep, ass to mouth. Yeah, yeah. We could say head to foot, but it's ass to mouth because of the shape of the bed. Uh, so. We're two daddies. We're raising our undead teenage uh, Sasquatch son. That's right. Peon Musk. And we're also raising adult baby David Crosby. That's right. Um, so, I mean, Peon Musk is a teenager. He is an undead Sasquatch. And like all teenagers, he's really starting to blossom. Uh, he's starting yeah. to become... Uh, sexually aware. Sexually aware, yeah. He's having a, his own sexual awakening right now and uh you know every night uh he likes to take walks through the woods uh surrounding the bunker yeah he's sneaking out at night we found out that every night uh there's a nearby our neighbors bill and melinda gates 
no, no relation. relation, no relation. They are separate. Bill and Melinda Gates. That's right. Uh, they're over there um, in their house, uh, and every night apparently, Peon Musk has been going over there and peering in their windows. That's right. Um, so, which you know what he he's yeah. What does that mean? Obviously, our daddy Dar is going off. Yeah, daddy's Dar, daddy's Dar is going off, and and obviously that means you know the Bill and Melinda Gates do have a daughter. Whose name is Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. No relation. No relation. And here's the thing. Bill and Melinda Gates, uh, Bill Bill Gates did start a company called Microsoft. No relation. It is a stool softener company. So it's not even in technology. No, no. No, it's not technology. It's, it's stool softener that also shrinks your poop. Yeah. Microsoft. It 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 softens and shrinks it, right. which is like Helps the you relief you need. Yeah. yeah. Helps you pass it. Yeah. We both use it quite frequently. We love Microsoft technology. Yeah. Um, but not Microsoft technology. We love yeah. Microsoft technology. Yeah. Peon Musk has been going to Microsoft founder Bill Gates's house and peering in the windows. Uh, and <laughs> uh, Obviously, our daddy's dar is going off. Obviously, he is courting their daughter. Yeah. Their daughter. Yeah. Um, so Ashton Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher. No relation. You know, I do. I think that they may have they may have seen each other at one of the uh, events put on by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which, again, again, no, not not the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation you're thinking of. Right. It's, this is a this is an actual piece of concrete. It's a foundational element that's out near the bunker where we hold a lot of events. Um, this is like kind of the block party <laughs> space for the neighborhood. Uh, we call it the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation because Bill and Melinda Gates were originally. It's a funny story. They were yeah. originally going to build a house there. Right. Uh, but then it turned out that Mr. Bunker um, fired guns at them <laughs> repeatedly. And so they moved where they were going to build their house. Right, right, right. Uh, and so now their house is where it is. And now they're, they're outside of the, of, the, of the fortress of Walmarts. But they're probably the closest neighbors that we have. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're good people. They're good people. Um, yeah, they're nice. Um, you know, a little show-offy, but uh, mm. with their perfect, you know, perfect family. But yeah, hey, great. like, I mean, you know. Perfect is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, you're not a you're not a horribly disfigured, disgusting, cryptid looking creature. Big deal, right? And you're not an undead teenage Sasquatch, right? But you know, obviously, little peon is uh, now he's not little at all. He's you know growing into a yeah an undead young man. Yeah, Sasquatch and yeah. Um, an undead young Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. And so he's going every night, peering in the windows. You know, and that's a very like a little teenage boy thing to do. We Andy all and I used to peer in windows constantly. Oh yeah, I still do. Yeah, constantly. I'm always peering in the windows of Macy's. Yeah, uh, even when it's not Christmas time. Yeah. No, I go to people's houses. I'm going uh, to the Marshall windows. Field. Yeah. Uh, I go through people's trash. <laughs> um, you know, I I check and see if there's unlocked cars, and then I get into the cars mm-hmm. and just kind of poke around. Yeah. Everybody does it. It's 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 just part of growing up. It's a normal thing about growing up. Yeah, you know. So obviously, you know, we thought it might be fun if little if you know Peon and Ashton go on a big a little little date. Yeah, we we went over to Bill and Melinda Gates's house and we said, uh, "Our son Peon is horny for your daughter Ashton Kutcher. We would like them to begin dating." And. And, you know, we obviously laid out the terms right. and conditions that all daddies should do when yeah. it comes to having your kids date. Look, I mean, every daddy should have a contract ready to go 
when your child's son or daughter is ready to start dating. Right. And look, there's only eight clauses you need. There's eight simple rules right. for dating my undead teenage Sasquatch son. Number one, no funny business. That's right. As a daddy, right. I can't I can't become a grandfather at this age. Seventy one is too young to be a grandfather. Well, there's also a sub clause to clause number one, which is um, no clowns will be involved. Um, you will not go to see stand up comedy. No funny business. Nothing can be funnier than us two daddies. And that's rule that's number true. one. The daddies always have to be the funniest. Thou ones shalt in the room. have no other funny. That's right. Before us. So the ghost of uh, Del Close is not allowed on any dates because we have to be the funniest ones in the room. Right. We Del Close, if you show up, we'll fucking kick your ass. We'll beat your fucking ass. We'll exercise you, dude. Yeah. Fuck you. You fucking weird improv hermit. Yeah. With your weird fucking rules. Yeah. Fuck you rules. Now here's rule number two in our. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, fuck the rules. Fuck your fear. Anyway, here is rule, rule number, number two. two. Be afraid. Be afraid. Yeah. Be constantly afraid. Constantly That's afraid. a rule. You need to be in fear. We. This isn't so much a. This isn't so much one of these. This is like, a, you know, this is to keep your wits about you. Right. I don't want to be. I don't want Peon Musk to go on a date with somebody who's complacent, somebody who doesn't keep their radar up. I mean, I have my daddy dar up constantly. That's right. Art has his daddy dar up all the time. That's right. You got to be on the lookout. You got to be on the I don't the want them to sink into some false sense of security. No. And not think that there are like giant Threats. eagles about ready to swoop down and pick them up because it can happen. <laughs> That's right. Um, Gandalf isn't just a fictional character. He might be real. Yeah, he, I think he is real. He might send those giant eagles. Yeah. The Philadelphia Eagles. Have you seen these guys? They're huge. They're huge. Fucking massive individuals. And they fly. And they fly. Uh, rule number three. Straight out of the first round of the playoffs. Be prompt. Yeah. <laughs> Got him. Got him. Fucking wrecked. Just like the Bears. Um, yeah, number three is be prompt. Yeah, be prompt. I don't want you. I don't want you breaking curfew, and don't show up even thirty seconds early, because I will go ballistic. That's right. If I haven't put my face on yet, and he needs to put his face on. If I'm still walking around in a towel with his curlers in, you know how embarrassing that is. That's humiliating to me, and I don't deserve that. You know, this is a potential family member that we're bringing into our family circle. I will reveal that part of me when I'm ready to reveal that part of me. And you will never be ready to Ashton, accept it. Ashton Kutcher does not have the right to take that from me. That is my reveal to make. That's right. It should not be revealed for me. Um, number four is obviously comb your hair. Comb your hair. Oh, such a... Everyone forgets to comb their hair. Comb you gotta your hair. comb your hair. What are you doing? Especially Peon Musk, you know, we This he, is this is a this is a rule for him too. It's it's a couple hours a day of combing with him. It's it's a chore. Yeah. It's I mean it's a yeah, it's it's an actual legitimate chore. it's like it's like taking care of a fucking horse. Yeah. So, number 4 is comb your hair and that goes for any potential dates as well. Yeah, that's 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 both ways. Uh number 5 is uh Dutch only. You're paying 50% even though as we'll get into it I mean, you're paying 50% regardless of what else happens. And I've actually added a subclause into this that if you go out for pancakes, Dutch babies only. Wow. Yeah. It's a good clause. 
It's a good clause. It's a Dutch. This Dutch is only. A, this is a well-dutched contract. This is a Dutch process contract. Yeah, you're going 50-50 on this one. Dutch yeah. only. Dutch only. So uh, don't, don't think you're going to get out of this making us pay. Because <laughs> who do you think gives Peon his allowance? Yeah, it's not like he has a job. It's his daddy's. Yeah. So that's daddy's money. That's daddy's money that's being... It's a daddy bucks. Yeah. <laughs> daddy stacks. Daddy coin. Daddy coin. Daddy Cryptocurrency coin. that we're working on. Yeah, we're working on. Look for that coming out tomorrow. We don't Daddy get how coin. It, we don't get how it works. We just want to put it out there and see if somebody will, will yeah. make it happen. Yeah. You know, we don't get how crypto works. Elon Nobody Musk, does. are you listening? Yeah. Daddy coin. If Elon Musk is listening, let's get daddy coins going. Yeah. Uh what are we on? Seven? Seven. Yeah. Rule seven is uh daddy's pick the date. That's true. Um children can't make decisions and they should can. never be allowed to make decisions. Uh, that's why you know if you're we've been fighting against the 26th amendment yeah we need to we need to increase the voting age to at least 34 34 probably you can't make a decision until you're at least 34 Uh, you know i think one of the big things the big mistakes parents make is they try to empower their kids to make decisions (laughs) and really you want them to understand that they can't do a good job so they need to learn from you by letting you make every decision for them it's so, a big daddy error in the daddy's community where you're trying to raise, what are you trying to raise, individuals? Yeah. Who can be independent of you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm going to be around forever. I mean, I'm always gonna I don't here. have time to clean up all these screw-ups. Like, yeah. you know, you, you do what I tell you, and then that's, you understand how to make a good decision. Daddy's no best. Daddy's, daddy's no best. So we get to pick the date, we get to pick the location, we get to pick the activity, all, everything involved. It's all there. It's all itemized. We had a yeah. lawyer. Yeah. We had our loyal Grumbly Grumbleson, um... He is a character from a local fast food chain called Mark Donald's. Uh, Grumbly Grumbleson is uh, the arch nemesis of Mark Donald's because right. he's always trying to shut them down for like health code violations and stuff. Um, and he's, he's an attorney slash health code inspector. He's a character. He appears in some of their marketing materials, but he is actually an attorney. And yeah. He is actually trying to get Mark Donald's shut down. <laughs> It's a very, very strange relationship he has with Mark Donald. The Good CEO attorney, though. Yeah, Good attorney. Great attorney. Great attorney. Yeah. Great. Yeah. The eight, these eight simple these rules for dating my undead teenage sex watches are ironclad. Ironclad. Well, he does. He keeps him in an Iron Maiden. Yeah. He so does. good luck trying to change those documents because you're going to get pulled. Yeah. He has a, his, his office his office aesthetic is very like steampunk chic. Very steampunk chic. So he has no filing cabinets. He only has iron lungs. Uh, Iron Maidens. Yeah, he's got weird, weird steam things. He wears these like steampunky goggles that are always like, like zooming in and out. And there's like little, little gears and like fucking yeah. steam pipes everywhere. Yeah. There's just pipes everywhere. It's like, where do these pipes go? I don't think they go anywhere. I don't know. I think there. they're just there. I think on, I don't think a lot of the gears do anything either. That's right. Just unnecessary gears. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally. Right. Last rule. The eighth rule uh, of dating our undead teenage Sasquatch son. Have fun. Have fun. It's mandatory. Your your kids, you need to have fun. And if you don't, we will sue you in court. There will be a price to pay. And trust me, we're winners when it comes to court. (laughs) We know about winning in court. So, uh, you know, uh, we know a thing or two about winning in court. And so you really don't want to mess with us when we go to court. Right. This we're. We're willing to throw daddy stacks at you. Yeah, we'll take the daddy stacks. We'll 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 pay out. We'll buy out. Buy out all of our daddy coin. Yeah. And we'll fucking take you to court. We'll cash out Daddy Coin. We'll we'll mount a defense. Uh and we'll use gr- everything that Grumbly Grumbleson's got. 
We'll put the full power of Grumbly Grumbleson behind us. That's right. You know, and his whole legal team there at Grumbly Grumblesons. Yeah. LLC in, yeah. Cor- in, corpor- in Esquires. Yeah. Grumbly Grumbleson Esquires. Esquire magazine. So um, those are the eight rules for dating our teenage undead Sasquatch son. So obviously, you know, we had the the Gateses sign that, and then we had Ashton Kutcher sign that and had the two meet. Um you know, Ashton looks a little bit different. I haven't, I haven't, I guess I haven't seen their daughter for a little while. She's, um, well, Andy is uh, adjusting himself. He has sat up from the toilet. Did not know that was possible. He's now sitting back down. Uh, I got a little, I got a little nervous there for a second. I thought something had happened. Uh, but Andy is now sitting back down. He looks okay. Ah, oh, sorry. So I feel I, better. I haven't seen Ashton in a while. Um, she looks very buff. Yeah, yeah. I you know I guess last, she's been working out all summer. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess Peon has one of those kind of like he likes buff people. Buff, buff, you know, she's buff sporty. Figures. She's athletic. Yeah. Um, but I I do remember Ashton Kutcher being um, you know, sort of a small girl. Yeah. Um, but really into horses. Yeah, loved horses. Always had a fake horse. The Gateses let her have hair that went all the way down to her ankles. <laughs> yeah. Long, straight hair. Yeah. Down to her ankles. Yeah, she went Wore through socks some... with frills on them. Yeah. So, this But was... this is very different. She, uh, has like a beard now, a full mm-hmm. beard, a full dirty, very dirty beard, um, with small, almost fun-sized pieces of candy Sticking out of the beard. Um, and she's very beefy arms. Yeah, more than six feet tall. Very deep voice. Dirty. Very dirty looking. Gruff. Yeah, grimy. Sunken eyes. Yeah. A big t-shirt with a question mark on it. Yeah. And then and then she was like, she also had like a jacket. And I think on the back of the jacket, there was a thing that was, who's your daddy's? Yeah. What's your name? Who's your daddy's? Yeah, which I felt was weird and targeted, but anyway. So we took the kids. I think I think the daddy's lifestyle is catching on. I think the daddy's lifestyle. I think people is catching are. On, even I think people, people are seeing our success, and they want a slice of that. You know, maybe we'll maybe we'll take some of that daddy coin and we'll 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 self publish a couple books. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Cryptocurrency works. You can use it on anything, right? Yeah, you, you just, do just make stuff happen. All you do is cash it out, and your dreams come true. Blockchain. Blockchain. I'm just gonna say words. Blockchain. Um, so we took the kids out, Andy, didn't we? Yeah, we took the kids out. Um, you know, of course, daddy's rules. Daddy's rules. We get to pick. We get to pick. So we decided, hey, you're both coming for a nice, a nice trip to the ice cream parlor with us. That's right. We're going to the ice cream parlor. No- nothing more romantic than the ice cream parlor. Uh, and daddy's rules, I like to eat ice cream. That's right. Now, of course, you know, uh, again, this is another daddy's, little daddy's tidbit that you daddies out there can take, is mm-hmm. that um, you need to watch your fucking kids like a hawk. So you don't know what kind of fucking sick pedophile creeps are hanging out at the ice cream store. Right. These sick fucks are looking for, looking for not, not just one scoops, they're looking for, they're looking for the scoop on how to, Scoop up your kids and take mm-hmm. them away from you. Yeah, these are the these are the windowless van types. Windowless van here. types that hang out at ice cream parlors. Yeah, 
these creeps. Go to any Dairy Queen in this country, and there is a pedophile there <laughs> at all times. I guarantee it. We guarantee it. You're going to hate the way it looks. You're going to hate the way it looks. We guarantee it. So we took them out to get a little bit of ice cream. We chose all the flavors. Mm -hmm. We chose what would happen. Obviously, you know, um, they can't start eating the ice cream until we say it's okay. Right. Because you got you to gotta check your food for razor blades mm -hmm. and drugs. Yeah. The number one thing of people who abuse drugs is that they want to give them away for free to children. Right. And 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 in hidden ways. In because, hidden ways. Because it's it's about playing the long game. <laughs> because you have so much drugs. There's so the supply of drugs right. is unbelievable. Everybody who has drugs has so much drugs they don't know what to do with them. Right. And so they hide them in food items and they hide them in other places and they do it to get you addicted. Right. So that then you'll buy drugs. Then you'll come back a month later and keep buying more drugs. Right. Yeah, and they do this surreptitiously. So, right. in theory, you could just keep getting free drugs consistently and never have to buy them. But they know that you won't be able to do that because they're clever. And the same exact business model works for the razor blade companies. Right. They know if they hide those razor blades in your candy on Halloween mm -hmm. and in your ice cream at your local ice cream parlors that you're going to cut your mouth open with a razor blade to get addicted to it. Yeah. And you're going to be coming back for more. Gillette. Gillette. Yeah. yeah. Gillette. <laughs> yeah, Gillette. the best a man can get, a best a man can get, not the best a kid can get. Yeah, Gillette, you're you're almost as bad as a pedophile <laughs> because you're hiding razor blades in children's food to get them addicted to buying razor blades and cutting their mouths. So obviously, we had to let all their ice cream melt completely until it was a pool of ice cream, right? And you can never be too sure. I mean, sure, right? We get a lot of mix-ins when we get ice cream. Oh, we get mostly mix-ins. <laughs> yeah. I go for the mixins. It's just a bowl of mixins. You know what? They they, they charge you for the ice cream. They don't really charge you for the mixins. I know. It's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, give me one one scoop of vanilla and then fill the rest of a huge bowl up with uh, pieces of Oreo and gummy bears and marshmallow cream and strawberries and blueberries and bananas and caramel sauce and fudge pieces and chocolate chips and whole marshmallows and mochi and... Uh, Rambutan and <laughs> yeah, chocolate sauce and hot fudge <laughs> and pineapple syrup. Well, you know, and maraschino cherries and peanuts and crushed walnuts <laughs> and cookies and candy bar pieces. Well, you know what's weird is that Ashton uh, Ashton asked me for only a cup full of uh, chopped up Heath bars. Yeah. Which is like, what the fuck's wrong? Why'd you get a fucking Heath bar? Yeah. Who's getting a Heath bar? Oh, I like Heath bars. Do you? That was a that was a plus in my book. Ashton won points with me wow. on that one. Ashton lost points with me. So anyway, we were worried about what's in the ice cream, so we have to let the ice cream melt. And then of course we have to test the ice cream right. by sampling it ourselves. So I I mean basically I mean the way these things work out, because right. it's mostly mix-ins, it's like I ended up eating like forty bowls of ice cream before they finally got theirs because you have to be sure. You can't be, can't be uh, un yeah, unsafe. I mean, and what, what happened was, you know, Andy and I, we took out these large um, candy-striped kind of straws. We stuck them into the liquefied ice cream, mm -hmm. and we kind of, you know, slurped it up together. It was kind of cute. It was like a thing yeah. you might do. Like, you put your straw on one end, I put my straw on the other. It was a very Lady in the Tramp kind of situation. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, meanwhile, the children, they just have to watch, okay? 
That's the number one thing. Children, be quiet until uh, daddies tell you it's time to talk. Right. You can watch daddies, observe daddies, mm-hmm. um, but do not engage daddies unless you are engaged. Especially when we're around our ice cream and our fixins. <laughs> your fixins. Um, especially when we're around our fixins. And you know what? Honestly, it was a good thing we took all these precautions because that ice cream had drugs in it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I started to get real woozy. Oh, yeah. And and Ashton flips the table over. Yeah. And stands up and starts shouting, recognize me. I am Mr. Bunker. I am the man who abducted you for two years and you won a court battle against me and I fled the law. And your judgment, and now I am re-abducting you again to t- regain my power. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, whoa, okay, Ashton, you, somebody's been watching a little too much TV. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then you know, obviously, I didn't realize that, Ashton was in the drama club because <laughs> this was some theater. Yeah, I definitely felt like straight off the set of that '70s show because we were high as a kite <laughs> on yeah. the marijuana, yeah, which is obviously what was in those drugs and and in those ice creams. Just like everybody that does marijuana, I blacked out. <laughs> <laughs> we both blacked out completely, which is a major side effect of weed. Okay, if you do any amount of marijuana, you lose consciousness. That's why it is called a gateway drug. Right, because you will be teleported. You, It's the gateway to other parts of your mind that you didn't know existed, and you get there through head trauma. Being unconscious. Yeah. You black out, you fall down, you hit your head, and then you wake up in a recording studio that's attached to a bunker. Yeah. I mean... So, you know, not a bad date. Yeah, overall, I mean... If this were me, if I were Peon Musk, oh, this is easily top five of dates I've been on. I think they might go out again. I don't know, Andy. Is love in the air? Do I see sparks flying? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think, there, I was think a, uh, there was a lot of chemistry there. Well, Peon also brought his uh, industrial sander, so yeah. there was a lot of sparks flying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was showing off some of those skills. Yeah, he's uh, he loves to make things with his hands. And by hands, I mean power tools. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it was it was a fun little date. It's 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 always rewarding as a daddy's to, you know, watch your watch your little kids grow and 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 potentially leave the nest in the next 17 to 18 years. Yeah. I mean, and I'll just say I could really see them getting married. Peon and Ashton. I think the Gateses and I and and us would make a uh wonderful new family together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously if Ashton and Peon do get married, uh Bill and Melinda Gates will have to move into the bunker with us. That's true. And we will all sleep together in our Charlie and the Chocolate Factory style bed. Uh, Art and I will not have sexual intercourse, but we will watch Bill and Melinda Gates. Do it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Woo! God, I can't wait. Woo! Oh, God. Oh, God. Because that Bill Gates is packing. <laughs> He's hogged out, you can tell. Oh boy, it looks like a fucking baby's arm. Oh, I mean, there's nothing Microsoft about what's in no, his pants. No, no, Unless he shit himself. <laughs> Using Microsoft technology. It's for shit! Microsoft. 
anyway, Andy, that was our little date. So here we are again. I don't know, you know, just, you know, a lot of, a lot of life lessons there, daddies. Yeah. Always check your food for drugs. But um, speaking of drugs, Andy, I mean, today's topic, he, uh, he has quite a lot of experience with the drugs, wouldn't you say? <laughs> oh, yeah. John Lennon, real drug abuser. And a woman abuser. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. He is a uh, has a uh, kind of a, a dark past. Yeah. And um, but uh, is that past dark enough? Is it, were his actions later in life heinous enough that or rebellious enough that the U.S. government would want him dead? I don't know, Andy. IDK, dude. IDK, dude. But we're gonna give you the whole enchilada here. On the death of John Lennon, John Lennon versus the CIA, here on Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. You may say I'm Ice Creamer. Bunkfuckers, welcome back to yet another installment of our music conspiracies. Uh, today, we're covering a, a conspiracy involving the CIA allegedly assassinating or conspiring to kill a, and this is an understatement, a monumental influence in music. One, John Lennon. Okay. Lennon was, not, uh, was known not only for his music, but also for his activism, outspoken political beliefs, and above all else, he was considered a champion for the ideas of peace, love, and harmony. Aw. Isn't that sweet? Aw. Well, you know what? The CIA says, fuck your peace. And they'd love for you to fucking suck on their harmony. The CIA don't fuck around with nothing. So they allegedly had this icon fucking killed. But why? And how, Andy? (laughs) Well... To fully understand the theory art, we have to go back in time to the early 60s, baby. My time. I was working as a door-to-door salesman for Gus Guthrie's Gussets, Goss, and Gaskets. I tell you, Art, when I first heard the Beatles, God, I was scared. Really? Oh, yeah. They unlocked something inside me. Wow. I dropped everything and grew my hair out long and joined the flower power movement, baby. Yeah, you didn't last long in that, though, did you? Uh, no. I thought it out. Yeah, I was pretty aggressive to a lot of the other people. Yeah, you were. You thought it was a gardening movement. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize it was about peace and love. Uh, those are concepts that are somewhat foreign to me. So, yeah. anyway, four lads from Liverpool decided to start a little band. You may have heard of it. They were called the Beatles. <laughs> Paul McCartney, John Lennon, George Harrison. Uh, were in the band initially. Uh, the band formed in 1958. John Lennon and a few of his high school buddies. Um, they went to this uh, school in Liverpool uh, that was called, um, oh, it was the uh, the Quarry Bank High School in Liverpool. Oh, really? And so the band was called the Quarrymen. Mm. Uh, initially, John and his friends from high school, Paul joined a little bit later, and then George uh, joined. Um, so they were called the Quarrymen initially, um, later, uh, Johnny and the Moondogs, uh, the Silver Beatles, uh, so a few different names, um, that I mentioned, even though they were not written in the script. Uh, 
There it is. So after, <laughs> after kicking out their original drummer, uh, they added Ringo Starr to the mix in 1962. Some might, some might say uh, we are the Pete Best of the podcasting world. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people would say that. Um, so uh, the Fab Foursome went on to some some success. Okay. They, they were successful. Yeah. All right, all right. The Beatles are likely considered one of the most influential bands of all time and likely one of the most influential bands of all music. The four topped charts for an entire decade. They defined counterculture music and pop music of the time. They invaded the United States, capturing key strongholds and supply lines while slaughtering millions. What are you going to do, brother, when Beatlemania runs wild on you? Wow. Do we really need to explain the Beatles? I mean, we all remember when they did all that stuff, all those war crimes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when, <laughs> I remember when they, uh, when they carpet bombed New York's Shea Stadium. <laughs> they set up street, uh, key strategic uh, radar installments on top of rooftops to play concerts. Right. And uh, everybody, of course, of course, remembers as they cut a swath of destruction across the United States. <laughs> Uh, they I, made their final stand at Candlestick Park in San yeah. Francisco. I mean, these these six where they slaughtered hundreds of fans. We're clearly using some kind of chemical w weapon because um, women who were going to see their shows were peeing their pants. Yeah, and men too. I peed my pants. That's true. Well, unrelated. Unrelated. <laughs> I was excited, but not that excited. You all know the Beatles, but by 1970, the Beatles, well, and possibly even before that, didn't really want to know the Beatles no more. The band was officially dissolved on December 31st. 1970. They had played their last concert, actually, even the year before. Right? Yeah, after their initial U.S. tour, they didn't do very many live shows nope. after that, and nope. concerts were very rare. Uh, and no paid concerts, I believe, after they played at Candlestick Park. Wow. So every concert they played after that was, you know, for free. I wonder what other music trivia facts Andy will enlighten us with. In this oh, there's more coming. Oh, yeah. All four members enjoyed a very successful solo career. I mean... Wings is one of Andy's favorite bands and uh, one of his favorite foods. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing better than I love listening to Band on the Run while chowing down on some buffalo wings. Andy actually is not a big fan of Wings. The band. The band. The food. Oh, yeah. oh boy. I'm a huge fan. But let's focus on just one, Andy, here. We're going to focus on John Lennon. Lennon and his wife, Yoko Ono, settled in uh, New York City in 1971. Lennon's solo career was heavily influenced by political activism and was a large departure from the Beatles' teeny bopper pop love songs and their kind of psychedelic, hey man, drop out man, peace and love kind of of their later careers, right? Mm -hmm. Songs like Power to the People, Happy Xmas, War is Over, and of course, Imagine, were cornerstones of Lennon's musical activism as well as commercial success. <laughs> Cha ching <laughs> It's true, Art. John Lennon once rented the same water park for an entire day as ELO frontman Jeff Lynn, Wild Willie's Wet Jamboree in Missoula, Nevada. Wow, Wild Willie's? Wild Willie's. Wild Willie's Wet Jamboree. I want to go there and get wet. Yeah. Wild Willie will get you wet. <laughs> Come to Wild Willie's. My Wild Willie will get you wetter than you've ever been. That was the, you remember the, the tagline. Well, yeah, I mean, I worked there for a summer briefly before I got fired for being too aggressive on the Lazy River. It's supposed to be a lazy river. There's no freeloaders in my water park. 
<laughs> you were so aggressive on that lazy river. Yeah. You would think that you would take to a lazy river really well, but you got real mean. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I, any amount of authority, and I just go ballistic. <laughs> needless, to, needless to say, the Lenin's embrace of what was considered at the time radical leftist politics <laughs> brought them under government scrutiny, and we'll get into it. Um, Lenin actually took a hiatus from the industry between 1975 and 1980 to raise his son, Sean, full-time. The two went on many an adventure together around the world, and it helped inspire Lenin to actually rejoin the music world. Lenin released his last album with Yoko Ono, uh, Double Fantasy, in 1980. So let's get into it here, Bunk Funkers. The official story of John Lennon's death. On December 8th, 1980, photographer Ann Leibowitz was at the Lennon family apartment in the Dakota in New York City. She wanted to photograph John for the cover of Rolling Stone and only John because, quote, nobody wanted Yoko on the cover, end quote, uh, which isn't relevant to the story. It's just kind of funny due to how unlike Yoko Ono was. There's a lot more like <clears throat> people just really don't like Yoko Ono. Yeah, Yoko Ono, kind of a lightning rod. Uh, but John insisted that Yoko be in the photograph as well. And Anne Leibowitz snapped the iconic cover photo of a nude John cradling his wife and kissing her cheek. Oh. oh. Art, did you know that Anne Leibowitz once photographed Beach Boys legend Brian Wilson anally pleasuring himself with a sex toy? The photo was titled Good Vibrations. Hmm? Did you know that, Art? Uh, I mean, Andy, you tell me a lot of music facts, but I'm pretty sure you mentioned that me, to me. You mentioned that to me loudly. In public one time when we were both in line for hot dogs. Hey, don't worry, baby. I realize my loudness and love of music industry facts got us banned from that hot dog stand, but I'm working on getting us back in. No, Andy, please. <laughs> no, don't. no, no, no need to thank me, Art. We'll be slurping dogs in no time. Don't want to slurp dogs. <laughs> you know how we slurp them up. <laughs> no time to choose slurping them dogs. <laughs> Speaking of slurping. After John got done slurping his wife for that photo shoot. So we're just like casually kissing her on the cheek. Oh, he's slurping. Yeah. Uh, any kissing, anything with the mouth, it's a slurp. I'm like one of those dogs with a tongue that's too long to stay in the mouth. I'm slurping it. <laughs> so after John got done slurping Yoko for that photo shoot, <laughs> Ann Leibowitz left around 3.30 in the afternoon. And then John and Yoko left around 5 p.m., to head to Record Plant Studio to mix a song they were working on, Walking on Thin Ice. The couple left and walked down the street to a waiting limousine which was going to drive them to the studio. The ride belonged to a local radio host who offered to give them a lift since they could conclude their interview in the limo. On their way to the limo, Lennon was approached by one Mark David Chapman. He handed Lennon a copy of the album Double Fantasy for him to sign. Lennon obliged, which he did for any fan, really. Lennon was known for his patience and willingness to cater to fan photo and autograph requests. Uh, present uh, was one amateur photographer and huge Beatles fan, Paul uh, Goresh, uh, who was waiting alongside Chapman to have Lennon also sign something for him. He snapped a photo of Lennon signing Chapman's album. The infamous photo would, would dawn the covers of newspapers and was the last photo taken of John Lennon alive. Foreshadowing. Also the title of the episode, but you get it. <laughs> Chapman had actually been waiting outside the Dakota since the early morning. And that actually wasn't very uncommon. Fans frequently waited outside the Dakota for a chance just to meet John Lennon. But uh, let's talk a little bit about this Chapman fella. He was a 25-year-old former security guard from Honolulu, Hawaii, uh, with no previous criminal convictions. 
He was also upset with John Lennon's message years ago that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus Christ. Lennon famously in an interview said the Beatles were more popular than Jesus Christ. It caused a huge outrage. People all over the country began burning and smashing Beatles albums. Anyway, um, with, with Lennon's later, and in, in Chapman also had a problem with Lennon's later kind of quote-unquote phony a message, a hypocritical message in his songs. Like, for example, in Imagine, he says, imagine a world with no possessions, but John Lennon lived a very lavish lifestyle. So it was uh, no possessions for thee, but not for me. Yeah. Chapman also had become obsessed with the with the J.D. Salinger book, Catcher in the Rye, uh, as well. The protagonist of the book, Holden Caulfield, is a representation for teen angst and rebellion as he as this as this uh, protagonist encounters a very cruel world and laments the adult hypocrites and quote unquote phonies that exist in the world, right? Chapman had taken the flight to NYC on December sixth, nineteen eighty. He stayed at the Sheridan Hotel, and on December eighth, he left the hotel, left behind all his possessions. He then went purchased a copy of The Catcher in the Rye, and inside it, he wrote, "This is my statement," and he signed it. Holden Caulfield. Oh, wow. Better be careful around all those edges. You might cut yourself. Sheesh. Yeah, that's like, you know, the next thing you'll tell me is, uh, you know, he goes and buys a copy of My Chemical Romance album and slams the door in his parents' face. <laughs> On the album sleeve, he writes, I'm not okay. Signed, Helena. Boy, oh boy. Uh, Chapman then waited outside the Dakota the rest of the day, chatting with other fans like Paul, the Dakota doorman, and even meeting John Lennon's nanny who was walking with his son, Sean. Chapman actually shook Sean's little hand, saying he was a beautiful boy, quoting Lennon's song about his son, beautiful boy, parentheses, darling boy, which is uh, maybe a little much. (laughs) A little little weird, a little little creepy. You know, Art. Oh. Harry Nilsson wrote a similar song called Andy Boy, parentheses, lettuce boy. Uh, It was part of a concept album all about produce. It had hits like Me and My Asparagus, Spud Man, Everybody's bean stalking. I don't hear a word they say because I have corn in my ears. Ironically, coconut didn't make the cut. Oh, jeez. Uh, you would think that would be yeah the EP the 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 title track and while the I single enjoy, and while I enjoy that joke, it's all false. Uh, but the truth is, Art, uh, that in 1974, <laughs> John Lennon produced an album of Harry Nilsson's solo work called Pussycats. And they were originally going to call it like European Pussy or something, but the RCA said no thank you to that. So then they called it Pussycats. And so on the album cover, it's the two of them like cartoon cats, their faces on cartoon cat bodies. And uh, they're in, like in, in a little house setting. Okay. And on the floor under the table, there's a rug. Mm-hmm. And on one side of the rug, on the uh, left side, there's a, a block, like a wooden block with a letter on it, the letter D. And at the other side of the rug, the right side of the rug, there's a wooden block with the letter S. So it's D rug S drugs. Wow. Drugs under the table. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. But that doesn't, uh, that doesn't rule out that Harry Nilsson's, uh, I guess you've never heard of his uh, produce themed concept album. Um, he did do a song about life in a trash can. That's real. Oh, fuckers. <laughs> about living in a trash can. <laughs> <laughs> like being a piece of food in a trash can. This is why we got kicked out of that hot dog stand. And um, <laughs> the only thing else I'll say about Pussycats is that uh, Nilsson like ruptured his vocal cords before the recording, but Jesus. he wanted to hide it from John Lennon. Um, so he sounds absolutely awful 
during the whole thing. I mean, not that he sounded that great before, but he didn't get proper medical treatment. And so his voice is kind of wrecked after that. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, what's better, letting John Lennon think you're an absolutely fucking shit singer or just saying, hey, I hurt my vocal cords? <laughs> yeah, no, just let him think you're bad and then keep doing drugs with him. Um, but they had some good musicians on this. A lot of, a okay. lot of heavy hitters. Keith Moon. That's great. Uh, anyway, Anywho. uh, like we said, Chapman handed Lennon the album. He signed it patiently while the limo waited, asked Chapman if he needed anything else to which Chaplin replied, no, no, sir. And Lennon went off. Uh, Lennon and Yoko, uh, returned from the studio at 10 50 PM. They decided to skip dinner, uh, because they wanted to rush home and say goodnight to their son, Sean before going out to eat after. The limo dropped them off on 72nd Street uh, instead of driving into the secluded, gated courtyard of the Dakota. Waiting in the shadows outside the Dakota courtyard entranceway, archway, was Mark David Chapman. The doorman, Jose Perdomo, and a nearby taxi driver all reported seeing Chapman waiting in the shadows near the entrance. As John and Yoko exited, Yoko passed by Chapman first. He nodded to her. Then John passed. As John passed, he appeared to glance up at Chapman briefly as if he recognized him from earlier in the day when he signed his album. And seconds later, Chapman pulled out a 38 revolver and fired five hollow point bullet shots at John Lennon from a distance of only 10 feet away. Some sources say, and Chapman himself actually claimed this in a later interview, but has also retracted it. Anyway, that he took a, quote, combat stance before firing his shots. More on that later. Ooh, foreshadowing. The first shot missed and struck a nearby window. The other four hit Lennon in the back and shoulder. The shots punctured his left lung and left subclavian artery. He immediately began bleeding profusely from the wounds and from his mouth. He managed to stagger his way up the steps of the security slash reception area of the archway, saying, I'm shot, I'm shot. <laughs> I mean, he probably said it yeah. different than that, but uh, then he fell to the floor. Dropping the newly printed cassettes of the song he had just finished mix mixing with his wife, Yoko. The doorman then ran inside and told the concierge to call the police. Attempts were made to stabilize John at the scene, but he was badly injured and losing a great deal of blood. Lennon was then taken to the hospital where doctors and nurses made a strong attempt to resuscitate him. But the hollow point rounds used by Chapman had done considerable damage and all but one of the shots had made clean exits through the front of his chest but his left lung and major blood vessels were all virtually destroyed. He was pronounced dead at 11.15 p.m. Chapman, after shooting John Lennon at point-blank range, made no attempts to flee the scene. He removed his coat and hat in preparation for the police to show that he had no concealed weapons, and he just stood there on 72nd Street. The doorman, Perdomo, shouted at him, Do you know what you've done? To which Chapman calmly replied, Yes, I just shot John Lennon. I mean, hey, Andy, I guess Chapman was a lot of things, but a fucking long-winded liar he was not. No, no, that was a really succinct assessment of what just happened. Yeah. <laughs> Officers Stephen Sapiro and Peter Cullen. Not the voice of Not Optimus the Prime. voice actor of Optimus Prime. A different Peter. Peter Cullen, no relation. Sam Woodwicky, what have you done? You've shot John Lennon for the... For the <laughs> what the fuck is their stupid cube called? The power cube. Oh, uh, I don't remember. It's yeah, done. it's done. It's over. It's gone. They were the first policemen to arrive at the scene, and they found Chapman standing very calmly on West 72nd Street. 
They reported that Chapman had dropped the revolver to the ground and was holding a paperback book, J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye, that we mentioned earlier. They immediately put Chapman in handcuffs and placed him in the backseat of their squad car. Chapman made no attempt to flee or resist arrest. Chapman was charged with second-degree murder, and he told police that he had used hollow-point bullets, quote, to ensure John Lennon's death, end quote. The judge ordered psychiatric treatment for Chapman during his incarceration and sentenced him to 20 years to life, five years less than the maximum sentence of 25 years to life. Chapman had been in prison, has been in prison in upstate New York ever since. He's still there. Uh, he has been denied parole 11 times, Most recent, the most recent denial being in 2020, and his next parole hearing is in August of 2022. So what's the deal here, bunk funkers? What's the theory? Was Mark David Chapman sent to murder John Lennon? Well, first off, why would the government of the United States want John Lennon dead? The answer might surprise some, but the Lennon family were under FBI surveillance for quite some time. You see, even before they arrived in New York City in 1971, John and Yoko were vehemently against the war in Vietnam and called for worldwide peace through many art demonstrations as well as music. One famous instance was staying in bed for seven days and allowing the press to enter their home and photograph them, but they had signs on their walls calling for peace. They did these bed-ins in a few different locations, but ironically enough, they weren't allowed to do one in the U.S. John and Yoko also put up billboards in 11 cities throughout the world simply stating, War is over. The press and many fans lambasted their efforts and installations. Critics called it pretentious, but some of the youth of the day said it was a beacon of relief and hope that a world-famous celebrity like John Lennon could or would be saying such things. I mean, this was the early 70s. Most world-famous musicians or celebrities were too busy abusing cocaine to speak out on such matters. It's true. I know I was. a lot of time. Yeah, <laughs> abusing cocaine takes up a lot. It's a big, big drain on your schedule. Yeah. Oh, I can't do that from four to eight. I'm abusing cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> I'll try to pencil you in after lunch. I mean, I'll be ready to go afterwards if you want to do it at eight. I'll be ready for anything. That's true. Um. Uh, we can't understate it, bunk funkers. The world was very different back then in the 70s. Reporters from institutions like the New York Times told John he looked ridiculous and that he was too good for this kind of thing. But John didn't care how he was portrayed as long as the message of peace got out. But what did the American government have to say? Well, we already covered in our COINTELPRO episode how the U.S. government used the FBI and CIA to essentially act as a secret police force, spying and tapping in on any players they deemed off-message. Activists such as Martin Luther King Jr., and members of the Black Panther Party were very deliberately spied on, harassed, and even murdered. So it shouldn't come as any surprise that John Lennon, getting involved in all this peace activism and anti-war messaging, got added to a list of troublesome troubadours. <laughs> which I believe is the file that, that uh, J. Edgar Hoover had, was the troublesome troubadour file. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, it wasn't so much John Lennon himself or really his music, We'll touch on it in a minute, but the friends he started to associate himself with, such as people like Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin, who were high-profile political activists of the time, and also more on them later. John also began helping to finance the efforts of Bobby Seale and the Black Panther Party. Basically, when John Lennon started to use his influence, and really, let's be honest, his money, to fund motives that the U.S. administration didn't like, then it became a problem. Uh, one pivotal example here was John's support of an activist from Michigan 
named John Sinclair. Lennon wrote and performed the song John Sinclair in a Michigan rally in December of 1971. This was basically the catalyst that got the FBI and CA interested in keeping tabs on him and his family. Sinclair was a poet, musician, band manager, and political activist from Flint, Michigan. Uh, you know, he was uh, he was really into like marijuana legalization, anti-war, things like that. You can look him up. At the time of the rally, John Sinclair was in jail for selling marijuana to a police officer, and the song of Lennon was a plea that he be freed. The lyrics of the song were actually pretty damn direct. Here's here's one quote: "If he was the CIA selling dope and making hay, he'd be free. They'd let him be." End quote. According to Sinclair himself in the documentary "The U.S. versus John Lennon," after John sang about him, his popularity and message skyrocketed because. Here he was, this worldwide star singing about this little guy from Michigan that most people didn't know. Uh, Many believe that Lennon's presence at the rally actually helped to free John Sinclair, but uh, the truth of the matter is he'd actually been free for a bit of time before the rally. According to FBI files released in 1997 under the Freedom of Information Act, the CIA asked the FBI for information about Lennon for his possible connection to radical groups and the possibility that he might disrupt the 1972 Republican National Convention. At that time, the FBI, under the Nixon administration, had been gathering information that could be used against Lenin so he could be deported. You see, Lenin and other activists were planning a countrywide tour and rock concert, essentially following President Nixon on his campaign trail and protesting at each city and culminating with a massive rock concert at the end of the tour. The government also feared that Lenin's outspoken stance against the Vietnam War and other radical political beliefs would influence the country's 18 to 20 year old population in the 1972 election. Because in 1971, the U.S. ratified an amendment lowering the voting age from 21 to 18. This is when they went on the offensive against John Lennon. Senator Strom Thurmond even wrote a letter claiming that if Lennon's visa was terminated, it would be a strategic countermeasure. The Immigration and Naturalization Services, or INS, actually did issue the Lennons a notice of deportation with an effective departure on or before March 15th, 1972. At first, they tried to use a drug conviction that uh, John had in the UK against him to deport him. John had previously pleaded guilty, he says under a forced confession, to a minor marijuana possession offense in England in the late 60s. He says the plea of guilty and accompanying a 100-pound fine was easier to deal with than fighting it in court. Because at the time, there was a massive headhunt to bust pop stars for drugs, whether they had them or not. Lennon hired attorney Leon Wilds, who negotiated for a longer stay for the Lennons, and countersued the attorney general and many other higher administration officials, stating that there was a clear conspiracy to have Lennon deported from the country, and that they did legally, and and actually they did legally find proof of it in, in the secret FBI files on John Lennon. The immigration law at the time uh, banned the admission of anyone convicted of a drug offense. But all the way in October of 1975, a three-judge federal panel ruled in Lennon's favor, declaring that his conviction in Britain didn't meet American standards of justice. Wow. And that's saying something. That's saying something. (laughs) So when deportation didn't exactly work as planned back in 1972, the Nixon administration resorted to a tried and true method. Harassment! John Lennon and Yoko Ono were put under surveillance. Their phones were tapped, and they had government agents following them constantly. The plan was to make their stay in the U.S. intolerable in the hope that they would be irritated enough to voluntarily leave. 
Lennon recalled saying he knew he was being followed and it did indeed scare him. All his friends thought he was just being paranoid or egotistical. But John was, was right. He was legitimately being stalked by the feds. John and Yoko were pretty remarkable in maintaining their pose. The feds never really got anything to use against them in their immigration trial. The Nixon administration clearly felt threatened by John Lennon. But was John Lennon a big enough threat to take things to the next level? And no, this time we don't mean sexually by the next level. So don't imagine John Lennon and Richard Nixon having rough sex. As hot as that would have been in 1972. Oh, yeah. Don't think about it. Don't. Don't imagine John Lennon choking Richard Nixon with a belt while he, you know, puts his penis in Richard Nixon's butthole. Don't imagine that. Because we're talking about assassination. That's right. Some believe that Mark David Chapman was actually a Manchurian candidate, a MK Ultra drone, a reprogrammed human to seek out and kill John Lennon, all while keeping the ties to the CIA untraceable. Theorists point to Chapman's completely bizarre post-murder calmness as a clear sign of CIA programming. The post-murder calm also wasn't questioned by police, nor was Chapman ever tested for drugs. In fact, many officers described Chapman as being in a, quote, programmed state. Uh, Actually, NYPD Lieutenant Arthur O'Connor, great name, uh, told one publication, quote, uh, Chapman looked like he could have been programmed. And I know that you're going to make of that. I know. And I know that you are going to make of that word. That was the way he looked. And that was the way he talked. End quote. Uh, you know, adding to the sleeper agent Manchurian candidate theory is Chapman's obsession with the catcher in the rye. They believe the book was used as Chapman's quote unquote trigger, having either something in it that awakened his programming to murder John Lennon or perhaps using it as a part of the reprogramming system. Another odd area of Chapman's background is the many flights he took all over the world right before his uh, quest to murder John Lennon. In 1978, Chapman went on a six week trip around the world. The vacation was partly inspired by the film Around the World in 80 Days. Um, He visited Tokyo, Seoul, Hong Kong, Singapore, Bangkok, Delhi, Beirut, Geneva, London, Paris, and Dublin. Chapman wasn't exactly a wealthy man. We'll touch on it, but he was in and out of mental institutions and had attempted suicide previously. He worked as an armed security guard and then as an aide at a hospital. So many theorists ask, how does a guy like this afford a six-week vacation around the world? They also key in on the fact that Chapman went to Beirut. At the time, Lebanon was a hotspot of CIA activity. The nation was surrounded in conflict, and the CIA had a massive presence there. It's said that one of the agency's top-secret assassination training camps is located there. Is this where Chapman was reprogrammed by the CIA? Did he receive training here? Perhaps that's why so many find it interesting that Chapman took a quote-unquote combat stance when he shot John Lennon. Where did he learn that? (laughs) Chapman might seem like an odd choice for an assassin, but he really is a perfect patsy. A history of mental illness, some firearms training from his armed security job, and a religious fanatic. Could the CIA have picked him up on his travels, footed the bill, and set him up as a perfect MK Ultra candidate? Furthermore, if Chapman wanted to become a celebrity by infamously killing John Lennon, then why turn down the trial of the century? He could have dragged the court proceedings out for years and had his name and face all over the papers. Why would he plead guilty instantly unless it was all according to plan? Well, Chapman may not have been the only one in on this plan. 
Some claim there may have been a second shooter in the death of John Lennon. Partly due to the lack of investigation by the authorities in the shell casings and the exit wounds. You know, to truly determine that Chapman was the one who did it, but and partly due to the fact that some say Chapman was standing at Lennon's right and the wounds were all on the left of Lennon's body. The doorman, Jose Perdomo, is said to be a CIA plant, allegedly. The original night doorman was sick the night of Lennon's death, and Perdomo was there to fill in. Perdomo is said to actually be Jose uh, Joaquin uh, Sanjentes Perdomo, an anti-Castro Cuban exile and member of Brigade uh, 2506 during the Bay of Pigs invasion in 1961, a failed CIA operation to overthrow Fidel Castro. He is also said to be a member of, quote-unquote, Operation 40, which is like a group of uh, mostly anti-Castro Cubans who were kind of like these mercenaries for hire, trained by the CIA as assassins, who all had a hand in all sorts of shenanigans, including assassinating JFK. Of course. Um, anyway, they claim that Joaquin Sanjentes had worked closely with convicted Watergate burglar Frank Sturgis for about 10 years on the CIA's payroll, and they conclude that, therefore, Nixon was behind Lennon's murder. It's also said that Joaquin Sanjentes died in 1974, but this was all just a cover-up so that he could go on doing secret work without any connections. Well, Bunkfunkers, it's pretty clear that the Nixon administration had a hard-on for silencing the opposition through unlawful means. Did they really send the CIA after John Lennon to kill him? Skeptics point out that the surveillance of John and Yoko pretty much stopped the instant Nixon won re-election in 1972. Former FBI officials who had a hand in the surveillance of Lennon and Yoko even confirmed this in the documentary, The U.S. versus John Lennon. The deportation stuff had already been put into motion, however, and the INS tended to stick to their objective regardless of administration. Furthermore, the day John Lennon died, he was one month away from receiving his U.S. citizenship, and he had been out of the limelight for over five years. By 1980, John Lennon and the political landscape were very different. Also, some skeptics beg the question, was John Lennon actually that much of a communist threat? Now, to put it succinctly, some say John was a dreamer, not a doer. Mm. John was a classic bard. He wrote songs, he played instruments, he joked around, and yeah, sure, he had funny ideas like world peace and all you need is love, blah, blah, blah. How is he any different from any other musician? John wasn't looking to tear down capitalism either. Allegedly, Lennon was grumbling to an aide one day about soaring business expenses. And the aide reminded him, hey, John, imagine no possessions. And John Lennon shot back, it's only a bloody song. It's only a bloody song. It's only a bloody song. <laughs> Sell records. Um, I mean, he lived in the fucking Dakota in Manhattan, New York. This is, this is near Central Park. This is a prime piece of real estate near central park it's right on the park it's right on the park we visited it yeah we didn't we didn't you know we played in strawberry fields yeah we did real lack of strawberries yeah not as many strawberries as they lead you to believe we saw carcosa we did see carcosa y'all gang bye shout out matt cochran uh <laughs> he enjoyed lavish trips around the world you know he, he could sing about peace and love because john lennon could afford to do so the skeptics aren't trashing him either they're just saying, do you really think this guy wants to give this whole life up? And they're not denying his involvement in the anti-war protests or activism either. But rather, they say that John Lennon was more of a tool for more radicalized activists such as your Abby Hoffmans and your Jerry Rubens 
who let's explain who they are. They're famous for many, 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 many protests during the time. Uh, but probably most famous for being part of the Chicago seven, which was a protest getting them and their five colleagues arrested and charged with a conspiracy to start a riot, cross party, cross state lines and start a riot and blah, blah, blah. Netflix made a movie about it. If you want to go learn more or you, you can just read about it. But John, you know, he's kind of this, he, he gets to New York. He's this free spirited kind of guy who's just, Hey man, I just want world peace. I'm into peace and love. He's not really a revolutionary on the level of a Hoffman or a Rubin, but his star power and his clout and honestly, his money <laughs> was very, very, very valuable to these activists. Okay, and finally, when push came to shove, Len intended to back off. Okay, there was serious talk by the Rubens and the Hoffmans, these activists in Lenin's circle, of actually doing a massive protest of the 1972 Republican National Convention. And Lenin backed off due to pressure from the deportation trial he was experiencing. He even stated in a TV interview with Yoko, and I'll paraphrase, hey, whatever you guys heard about us protesting in that convention or any convention is not true. We never agreed to that. We've got too much going on right now. He was quoted as saying to friends, the only thing he ever really wanted to do in his life was play, play in a rock and roll band. And this whole deportation thing this whole deportation situation threatened that. And it was more important than any message or any protest or any revolution. So maybe that's why Mark David Chapman felt like John Lennon was such a big fucking phony. <laughs> the guy tells us all to imagine no freaking possessions. It's easy if I try, but he's over there bathing in melted haagen ice cream and purchasing yachts made of chocolate with candy and toys inside. It's a yacht kinder egg. I can't afford Yacht Kinder Eggs. You can't afford Yacht Kinder Egg. I can afford a bathtub full of haagen but it sets me back financially. It's going to be a month's pay. I got a big bathtub and a big body. And it takes a lot of ice cream to cover me up. Yeah. But I would do that stuff if I was rich, though. That's true. You have talked about it ad nauseum. Yeah. I'd get one of those. My bathtub would always be full of haagen I'd have all the yacht kinder eggs I could get my hands on. That's true, you would. I'd have one of those fountains of Velveeta in my living room. Oh, I love that band. Fountains of Velveeta. Yeah, yeah they had that great song, yeah, Stacy's Stacey's Pasta. Dad. He's dad. Stacy's Stacey's dad is in got... the hospital <laughs> because he's got an artery problem. <laughs> Sounds of Elvita. Sounds of Elvita. One hit wonder. But hey, skeptics are quick to point out that uh, this Mark David Chapman guy had a serious history of mental illness, and that doesn't mean he's a trained CIA sleeper agent. Let's take a journey through some facts about Chapman's past. As a child, Chapman's father was abusive toward his mother and very cold towards Mark David Chapman. He began to have power fantasies, Mark David Chapman did, where he was the ruler of a group of imaginary quote-unquote little people who lived in his walls. He began abusing drugs and skipping school at age 14. He ran away from home to live on the streets for two weeks once, and he was frequently bullied for being unathletic. Not a great start to Chapman's, Chapman's life, that's fair to say, but in 1971, Chapman became a born-again Presbyterian and distributed biblical tracts. So now let's mix in some religious fanaticism. There we go. That's a good mix-in. Mm, this is getting tasty. Chapman also read J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye, and the book became greatly significant to him. 
and he started to want to model his life around Holden Caulfield. Things got worse for him as he enrolled as a student at Covenant College, an evangelical Presbyterian liberal arts college in Lookout Mountain, Georgia. There, he met a girl, had a, then they started dating, then uh, Chapman cheated on her, and he felt so much guilt over having an affair that he fell behind in his studies. Their relationship ended, and he dropped out of school after one semester. Soon after, Chapman began to contemplate suicide. He then worked as a security guard, eventually taking a week-long course to qualify as an armed guard. In 1977, Chapman moved to Hawaii, where he attempted suicide by carbon monoxide asphyxiation. He connected a hose to his car's exhaust pipe, but then the hose melted and the attempt failed. Psychiatrists admitted Chapman to Castle Memorial Hospital for clinical depression. Upon his release, he began working at the hospital. Then in 1978, he took his six-week trip around the world. There, he began to date his travel agent, Gloria Abe, and the two were married in 1979. Side note, they're still married. Side note, they still like to fuck, and they talk about it a lot. We'll get into it in the discussion. Okay. I'm going to bring it up. Okay. But what comes up must come down. I'm not talking about their, his penis. Chapman worked <laughs> at Castle Memorial Hospital again, was fired, then rehired, then fired again after getting into a shouting match with a nurse. He then began to abuse alcohol after this incident. Around this time, he developed a strong obsession with The Catcher in the Rye, with music, with John Lennon, and artwork. In September of 1980, he wrote a letter to a friend, Linda Irish, in which he stated, I'm going nuts. He signed the letter, The Catcher in the Rye. Chapman allegedly started planning to kill John Lennon three months prior to the actual murder. And things are really spiraling out at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's I fair would. to say. Not, not really in control here. So on December 7th, the day before he murdered John Lennon, Chapman accosted singer James Taylor at the 72nd Street subway station. According to Taylor, quote, The guy had sort of pinned me to the wall and was glistening with maniacal sweat and talking some freak speak about what he was going to do and his stuff with how John was interested and he was going to get in touch with John Lennon. End quote. To be fair... I've similarly accosted James Taylor over the song Fire and Rain. I also pinned him to a wall, was very sweaty, screaming at him about uh, seeing fire and rain because, you know, I'm scared of fire in the same way a Frankenstein's monster is. Same deal with the rain. I'm scared of them. So that song really upset you. That song's very frightening to me. So every time I see James Taylor, which is a lot, I... Pin him up against the nearest wall. I'm always sweating, constantly, profusely sweating, maniacal sweat. I pin him up against the wall, and I just start shouting an inch from his face. How can you see fire and rain? Why aren't you freaking out? Oh, you've seen it? Oh, oh. Oh, it scares me. Don't write a song about stuff that scares me. Oh, James Taylor. You and your rich family, it's so easy to make it in the music business. Whoa. Jeez, Andy has no respect for a folk rock folk rock legend. Fire and rain. Anywho, Chapman also talked with his wife, uh, maybe while fucking, about getting help with his problems by working on his relationship with God. Who he also wanted to fuck. <laughs> Chapman's troubled mind can be seen in how he flips back and forth in interviews uh, about whether he killed John Lennon for fame and notoriety or not. 
The only time he made a public statement before his sentencing, and for several years afterward, was during a brief psychotic episode in which he was convinced that the meaning of his actions was to promote the catcher in the rye, which culminated with Chapman sending a letter to the New York Times asking the public to go read the catcher in the rye. According to Chapman, he had an alternate hit list of potential targets in mind, including Beatles bandmate Paul McCartney, talk show host Johnny Carson, actress Elizabeth Taylor, actor George C. Scott, former First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, just elected U.S. President Ronald Reagan, and Hawaii Governor George Ariyoshi. Now, more than a dozen psychologists and psychiatrists interviewed Chapman in the six months prior to his trial. We didn't really talk about his trial, but it was pretty lengthy, even though he basically just straight up pleaded guilty. Uh, but still, I mean, people wanted to know whether he was insane enough to sane enough to fit trial, stand trial. Mm-hmm. Three for the prosecution, six for the defense, and several more on behalf of the court. And they concluded a battery of standard, uh, or they conducted a battery of standard diagnostic procedures and more than 200 hours of clinical interviews. All six defense experts concluded that Chapman was psychotic. Five diagnosed um, him with paranoid schizophrenia. And the sixth felt that his symptoms were most consistent with manic depression. The three prosecution experts declared that his delusions fell short of psychosis and instead diagnosed various personality disorders. We're getting in the minutiae here. The guy has... uh, a series of, of, of mental problems. The court appointed experts concluded, concurred that the prosecution's examiners with the prosecution's examiners, that he was delusional yet competent to stand trial in the examinations. Chapman was more cooperative with the prosecution's mental health experts than those for the defense. One psychiatrist conjectured that he did not wish to be considered quote unquote crazy and was persuaded that the defense experts only declared him insane because they were hired to do so. There you have it. Bunk funkers. Did the CIA use Mark David Chapman as an MKUltra sleeper agent to shoot and kill John Lennon for pissing off Dirty Dick Nixon in the early 70s? Or was John Lennon a musical icon and genius? Those aren't mutually exclusive. Struck down by the hands of one very troubled gunman. Well, punk funkers, it's important to remember that you're not alone in this dilemma. We're all in this together. We all have to consume the whole enchilada if we're going to make it through these strange times that we live in. We were inspired by some really thoughtful and important pop culture figures and actors recently. So to help you digest the whole enchilada on the death of John Lennon, here is an incredibly moving audio montage of John Lennon's Imagine, Reimagined. Imagine there's no bunker It's easy if you try No abductions for us No whole enchiladas to come by Imagine all the bunk funkers Living without heart and Andy Imagine there's no intro It isn't hard to do Nothing to skip 
four, no wherefore. And no lore to. Imagine all the bunk funkers living life in peace. You may say we're annoying, and you're not the only one. I hope someday you'll review us And the star will be a one Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. Hey Hey there. there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon. It sure is chilly outside, Art. Andy, where's your jacket? Art, did you hear me? The wind chill is 30 below. Andy, I think you have hypothermia. You know, Art, with the horrific chilly weather outside, the only thing that'll warm me up is listening to Andy and Art Debunked, available only on patreon.com slash mrbunkerpod. Are you seriously shilling our Patreon right now? Oh, Art... Laughing at the antics of Andy and Art is all the warmth I need. And for just $5 a month, I get access to all the episodes of the show, behind-the-scenes updates, sneak peeks at episodes, and I can chat with Andy and Art on the Bunker Discord. Andy, we need to get you to a hospital. We need to get me to patreon.com slash MrBunkerPod. so chilly. Oh, God. I'm shilled to the bone. Hey, welcome back, Bunk Funkers. That was our research of uh, the death of John Lennon by the hands of the coward, the CIA. <laughs> Those cowards. <laughs> the coward information agency. Um, Andy, what do you make of this? You're a big uh, Beatles fan. You and your wife are big Beatles fans. You love the Beatles. Beatles. <laughs> 
Um, you know, I do think that John Lennon died. Yeah. And I do think that he was that's murdered. Yeah. And I do fact. think that Mark David Chapman murdered him. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I think that it's, I, I think um, it is interesting that, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, there's a little bit of mustard on this one. There's some mustard on this one, but is there relish? Yeah, that's the real question. It, I mean, John Lennon was the target of surveillance by the FBI. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, in, I mean, obviously that's been proven to be true. It's 100% true. Yeah, there's no, that's not even speculation. That's truth. John Lennon was the target of FBI surveillance. He was not a popular person in the early 1970s in the United States. And uh, they wanted to kick him out. From a government standpoint. Yeah, from a government and people who like the establishment kind of standpoint. People right. Mad. But it, isn't, it's, it's, just, it's just funny to think. It's like, you know, he's just saying like, you know, and it, you could, it, it is a little pretentious, the bed in. Oh, we're just yeah. going to sit in bed all day and we hang signs around the house that say peace. Right. And you're going to come photograph us and that's going to spread world peace. That's going to stop the war in Vietnam. It's like. Yeah, not really. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I think that John Lennon was right, though. I mean, the real reason that war continues is that not enough people understand that peace exists, that there could not be war. <laughs> you know, it's like people are just like, well, you know, war is war is just a part of life. Like, war. you mean you know, we don't have to do Right. Nobody knows that. Oh, well, put my gun on the and ground. John Lennon, John Lennon was really the first person to like bring awareness to the fact that you don't have to have war. So you're kind of grilling him. Is that how you kind of feel about John Lennon? Grilling him? Yeah, you're grilling him. <laughs> you mean I'm like raking him over the coals? You're raking him over the coals? I mean, I do. I, look, I am a cynic. Clearly not your favorite Beatle. I am a cynic, okay? Yeah. I think, um, do I think that John Lennon had ideals? Yeah. Sure. But I think think that he was probably a good person. No. I do think that (laughs) he had ideals. He did some shady stuff in his past. He was a bit of a dick. Like, do I think he was generally a good person? Like, no, probably not. Really? Probably. probably, I mean, like. He seemed pretty nice to his fans. At least in his later part of his life. Sure. And I think when he had his son, Sean, obviously we're not even talking about Julian. Julian. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know how Julian feels about his dad, but uh, uh, Sean, obviously, he he fucking was like, hit something clicked in him. I think he was just ready, and he dropped everything and just was like, I'm going to raise my kid yeah. for five years. Didn't do anything. Yeah. And made bread with his kid. Yeah. Fucking took world trips. Spent all that money. Right. And his massive estate. Yeah. You know. But yeah, obviously he was uh, he was not kind to his first wife. I believe he abused her, right, physically. Yeah, um, um, it's a well known factoid yeah. about John Lennon. He's kind of an emotional abuser too. Yeah, like um, you know, with Yoko even. Yeah, um, you know. Yeah, he would like. I mean, you know, it's kind of a you don't want to say it's a thing of the times, but it would be like, you know, I think when he first met her, it's kind of like a thing where he was like, oh. Like, I couldn't even believe a woman could say such things or be such a way. Because, you know, Yoko Ono is like this kind of annoying, like, artsy, free-spirited. She's kind of annoying. <laughs> she is. She's, she's kind of annoying. <laughs> oh, God. She's just like an artist. You know, she's one of these artists where it's yeah. like, oh, it's like, oh, Jesus, okay. <laughs> fucking your goofy hats. You know, and she's like very free-spirited and like an artist. And I don't know what her background is at all, actually. And, um, you know, and then John meets her and he's like, oh, I didn't even know a woman could be like this have ideas and think yeah it's like okay yeah all right john 
you know, and he he's a very headstrong. He's the most headstrong beetle. Yeah. George Harrison is very much like George Harrison is probably my favorite beetle. And he kind of took to that whole uh, Hare Krishna business. And he really kind of. I think of, George is my favorite beetle, too. I think George is an easy beetle to be a fan of. Yeah. He's kind of a sweetheart and he's cheeky and he's funny. And he just wanted to play guitar in a band with his friends. You know, and, and he wrote know, some good songs. Yeah. And he got, kind of got stifled a little bit in the band. Uh, yeah. You know, because he could never be. Something is an amazing song. Very good song. That's an amazing song. He had a very interesting solo career. He had a great solo career. Um, He's the one who brought fucking Paul together to sing that song about John. Um, I forget the title of it. Yeah. But Paul, you know, and, and Paul and John kind of butt heads. They're kind of dicks. Yeah. They obviously both see themselves as the leader of the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. And they have diverging visions of, you know, what where the band should go and all that stuff. Paul obviously said some very, I think very cold remarks after John's death. Yeah. He had some very cold remarks to say, which is kind of like, dude, Jesus Christ. But I think they're both kind of the same way, like where they're just very self-involved. Yes. You know, like I think, I think Paul and John are both very like self-centered type of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it's like you ask, were they good people? It's like, I mean, I guess they're not like horrible people. They're not like, Super villains, but they're worldwide celebrities. They're like they're like every person, right? There's good and bad, right? It's the same thing as like the, all those celebrities who you know we parodied that Imagine song where all those celebrities fucking sang Imagine at the beginning of the pandemic mm-hmm. as like a hey we're all in this together. It's like shut the fuck up, no we're not. Yeah, you're not in this with me. <laughs> fuck you. And obviously there's some there was some cool celebrities in there that a lot of people like Will Ferrell I think was in it, and it's like at one hand it's kind of like you know some of those celebrities probably sat there and were like maybe their agent or their manager was like, Hey, they're doing this thing for social media. You want to sing a line from imagine and they're going to send it out. And it's like, okay, I guess I'll do that. Like, it seems like a nice charity thing. Maybe they weren't aware of how obnoxious it actually was going to look. Yeah. And then there's probably others that were like, wow, I'm making such a difference. I'm giving hope to so many, so much motivation. It's like, yeah, shut the fuck up. Yeah. (laughs) No, you're not. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's the thing. It's like, Mark David Chapman has a point. Like John Lennon is a little bit of a phony. He is a bit, he's a big phony. But I think that a lot of people are this way where it's like they have ideals, they don't necessarily like live up yeah. to those. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that that's such a bad thing. No, I don't think like, so. Like I'm either. gonna sit here and call him a phony, and that's fine. I think he's a phony. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you can't have ideals if you always live up to your ideals. Like then you're probably not aiming high enough. Like you're right. I think, Andy, I think one of the, not an absolute, but I think one of the things that happens when you get to the level that the Beatles are at is like to get to that next echelon of that worldwide fame is like, you're going to have to sacrifice something. Yeah. Something's getting sacrificed and the, your ideals are probably one of the main, one of the things. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's, there's the difference between what should the system be and what is the system today in which I have to operate. Right. And it's like, at the end of the day, I mean- the Beatles were a band uh, with like people don't get into the music business just to make a point for the most part. Like they want to make money. Well, and it's fucking cool. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. I think music is one of the fucking like musicians are always cool. Even the lame ones (laughs) like Creed is still cool to like a lot of people. (laughs) Nickelback is cool to millions of people. Andy, I heard somebody say once that like all comedians want to be musicians and like yes. all musicians want to be like everybody that does something creative wants to do a different creative thing instead of the thing that they do. 
like if an if a comedian tries to do something serious and it kind of falls flat, it's it feels very cringe and kind of weird, right? Whereas like if a musician does something like kind of cheesy or even poppy or like I don't know, it's like it's still just cool. Like I think people just think musicians are just so fucking cool. Yeah. They're always cool. Even if they're old and they're yeah. still like doing stuff, they're still cool. Whereas like an actor trying to be like a I don't know, do stuff that they did when they were young. It's kind of not cool anymore. I don't know. What yeah. is cool? What but is I agree cool. with you saying. Yeah. That musician, people who get into the music industry are like, oh, this is a very lucrative industry. Also, it's fucking badass. Also, every door I ever want open for me will be open because I'm a fucking musician. Yeah. Every drug I ever want, every fucking, I can have any, any lover that I care for, you yeah. know? I'll have groupies fucking following me around. Yeah. Like, it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's fucking baller. I mean, it's it's like, it's the... It's That's why the, we got into podcasting. Yeah, exactly. There's none of that. Yeah, we don't want that. That's not us. <laughs> we know our lane. And we're going to stay in it, by God. <laughs> no, I do think that there's something, you know, there's something about being a musician where it's like the gig of musicianship is like going on the road, right? And like right. being, like, it's different when you're an actor, um, because because sure. you you don't you don't get that opportunity to like appear before your fans and I know yeah the Beatles like right. stopped touring and stuff but I mean obviously they sold out like dozens and dozens of concerts huge huge venues at the time which yeah. you know arenas were not like the thing that you did at no. the time so no. like them playing places like stadiums and arenas and like selling them out is like unprecedented yeah uh. And so it's like they lived that life, that wild like life of celebrity of being like, you know, mobbed constantly everywhere yeah. they go. Hard days, night. I mean, this is, uh, you know, and it's different, different. And they were young too. You forget how young they were. Yeah, yeah, they were still, still like in their twenties. It's crazy. Because what, like John was born in like 1939, so like yeah. he would have, you know, only turned 30 like right before the band <laughs> broke up. Yeah. I think they were like 28, 29, which is like, holy fuck. Yeah. I mean, meanwhile, I'm like 54 years old now. Yeah. And I've done nothing. Yeah. You've done nothing. My life is a monument to waste. Mm -hmm. Your waste monument. Yeah. Waste. Call me Trash Mountain. <laughs> You're King Shit of Trash Mountain. King Shit of Trash Mountain. Oh, look upon my works, ye mighty, and be underwhelmed. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. John, John's a bit of a phony. He's a bit of a fake. A lot of celebrities and I, pop know, culture no, people are. I, like, yeah. But, I mean, here's I, the thing. But he, so he he puts his neck out on the line for certain activities. He did fund the Black Panther Party. Yeah. He did fund these different activists. He did say mm -hmm. things like he would go on camera on these interviews and talk about anti-war right. sentiment, which was very, very, very uncommon during the time, which might feel a little weird nowadays where it's like, you know, our celebrities are like so ingrained in all social movements, all political movements, constantly everything is ingrained together. Yeah. Back in the day though, like, you know, when, when John was facing his deportation, deportation trial, it's funny because it's like one celebrity wrote in to say like, Hey, John's actually a good guy. You should keep him in the country. <laughs> yeah. None of Hollywood touched that shit. It's like, Oh, yeah. Oh, he's, He's uh, he's 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 marked. He's tainted. Yeah, that's the thing, though. 
As soon as that trial happened, John's like, I'm out. I'm done. This is over. I'm not doing this anymore. Like, yeah, they're coming after me. Sorry. Right. Yeah. You guys were fun to hang out with for a little while, but like now I got my own problems. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to go protest at the, at Nixon's convention. Well, like that's the thing is like the minute that it started to like jeopardize his career. Right. He's like, okay, right. Forget it. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. So I think that, you know, it's like, it, it's like, yeah, is it, is it phony to like say that? I mean, he probably still believes in that stuff. It's just that, yeah, he's not willing to like go the distance on it. Right. And it's in, you know, and I guess you can kind of sit here and say like, well, should you be um, attacked for that? Like these, you know, the Jerry Rubens, Abby Hoffman's, the John Sinclair's, they're pretty extreme people. They're willing to go. Yeah. The extra mile. They're yeah. willing to, to, to be arrested and to challenge things and to yeah fucking stir the pot and beat the hornet's nest. Right. If John doesn't want to do that, I mean, yeah. Know, do you hold that against him? Do you not? I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, the answer is. Yeah. I think it's, I think, I mean, I guess to me, it's like, there's a need for activism like that. And not everybody's willing to do that. Not everybody wants to like, right. You know, that's outside of the comfort zone for a lot of people to be that activist. I mean, you know, people can still agitate for social change. Um, in other ways. Right. Yeah, I mean, nowadays more so than ever. I mean, back then it was it was it was it was unprecedented for a celebrity of John Lennon's caliber to to I mean, appear at some rally in Michigan to help John Sinclair, this fucking yeah. pothead, basically. He was like trying to legalize marijuana in the fucking seventies. Yeah. I mean, think about it. It's like they're trying to do that in the seventies, and it isn't until now that it's even a reality. Yeah. John Sinclair ended up moving to um, Amsterdam where he lived. But when Michigan legalized marijuana, he was the first person in Michigan to buy legalized weed. Wow. Kind of all came full circle in mm. 2019. The first person. Hmm. Why are you humming? Did he cut in line to get to be the first <laughs> one? Or? Sounds like some kind of a sweetheart deal. Yeah. Sounds like you're a bit of a fucking phony. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Power to the people. Yeah. Power mm. to the people. But uh, uh, you first. get to go first in line, I guess. Huh? Um, You know, I mean, yeah, it's it's so John like I mean, John really did put his money where his mouth was for a while. Right. Until. But I mean, hey, a deportation trial is actually pretty scary. You know, I, I think that's a pretty, you know, he, he obviously loved living here in New York City and he loved. That's where he wanted to be. That's where he felt the most creative. That's where his his friends were, and he didn't want to go back to England. Yeah. Um. So, you know, and yeah, I mean, there is some the, some phoniness to saying imagine no possessions, and then he like fucking lives in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, as, it's as, like has has an apartment at the Dakota, right? Which is you know <laughs> basically the size of a house. Yeah, yeah, huge apartment. Like a bunch of famous people lived at the Dakota. Um, God, I think I remember. Like I don't know, like maybe John Madden, also like had a like apartment at the Dakota. Well, and you see what you gotta do here. <laughs> I read some like history of like how Monday Night Football like got started, and it involved like an interview, or like you know, like them meeting with John Madden. And I think that was the thing is like, it was also a limousine meeting. They picked Madden up at the Dakota 
I could be wrong. I know a lot less about John Madden trivia than I know about music trivia. You need to up your fucking game. I know. Jeez, this is embarrassing. Sorry, Bunk Funkers. What do you think, though? Like, is John Lennon a big enough threat that they send a fucking Manchurian candidate after him to kill? Like, you no. got to imagine that programming a Manchurian candidate has to cost the CIA some amount of money. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and and what did John Lennon's death accomplish? Right? Like, yeah. like so, yeah. I mean, what, it's like, what did John Lennon's death accomplish? You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, sure, they silenced him. Right. But <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it's it's hard for me to understand, like, at that point, how John Lennon was like, you know, again, like you said, a big threat. Or it's like, what was what was his message in 1980 that's like yeah. so, so jarring that people are like, oh, my God, don't do that. He, he had been out of the limelight for five years. Yeah. It's a totally different landscape. I mean, is Nixon like, is Nixon had been gone for... Uh, Nixon. Nixon had been gone for like six years, eight years at that point. Yeah, almost. Well, he left in seventy four, right? Uh, yeah, I think seventy seven. I think it was seventy three. Oh, and then Ford finished out his term. Then Carter, and by this point, Reagan. Reagan had already been elected, yeah, so, but not yet inaugurated. Right. So Nixon had been gone for a while. Is Nixon fucking like getting one last? I gotcha. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like obviously the FBI would span administrations, but it's like there's no real evidence that like Carter had a beef with that Jimmy Carter had a beef with John Lennon. He had beef with everybody. Yeah. Or or Gerald asshole. Ford for that matter. Right. I mean, and and the FBI clearly even stay says in that all these people who are like, Yeah, like we went after him and then it's like as soon as Nixon won election, re-election. We were like, okay, we don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. We got what we wanted. Yeah. That's the thing is Nixon was only concerned about John Lennon to the extent that it inhibited his ability to be re-elected president. Right. Which obviously he was willing to give up the presidency to make sure that he stayed president for that short amount of time that he did. So it's like, I just don't, I just don't see the connection. And, you know, Mark David Chapman, it's like. It's not hard to believe that Mark David Chapman is the type of guy who gets like a notion to kill John Lennon and is just like off enough. Yeah. Like has just enough mental health issues that he's that that becomes obsession. Right. I mean, it's like he's obsessed with catch. Have you ever read Catcher in the Rye? Of course. I've never read it. Really? Never read it. It wasn't required reading in like high school. No, no. There were no required readings in my high school because <laughs> I was homeschooled. That's right. The only thing you were reading was uh was the uh Uncle John's bathroom reader for four hours a day while I was on the toilet. That's right. You spent most of the day on the toilet. No, I never I don't know why I don't I mean it's weird uh to me that I never read it. Um it's some good, of the, it's a decent book. Some required reading like John Steinbeck, The Pearl. Uh, oh, I thought you were gonna say Grapes of Wrath. No. <laughs> I guess I went to a weird school. The Pearl. My, the follow-up, the, Jonathan Livingston the, Siegel. That I enjoyed the the bananas of avarice. Uh, <laughs> you read that yeah. one? Yeah, I really love the uh, the grapefruit the can, of lust, can, cantaloupes of greed. Um, let's see. Uh, the Hobbit that was required reading in my school. Really, The Hobbit. The Hobbit that was in like middle school. Middle school? Yeah, the seems Hobbit. like an intense book for middle school. Yeah. Uh, we read the book and then we watched the uh, the cartoon movie. Yeah, the, that creepy cartoon. Because that movie. was well before the Hobbit actual movies. That like weird, uh, yeah, almost rotoscopy animation. Um, um, what other books? 
Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess I didn't like. Catcher in the Rye is a good one. It's, uh, it's good for a teen to read. It's very teen. It's, it's teen angst. Oh, um, ordinary uh, people. To Kill a Mockingbird. That was one I had to read. Yeah. What about ordinary people? No. Raisin in the Sun. No. Wow. We read totally different books. Yeah. <laughs> what was that other one about Holocaust? The night. Night. Night of something. Ellie Wiesel or something? Yeah, it's just called Night. It's called Night? Mm-hmm. Oh. I didn't have to read that for school, but I had a copy of it at home. Oh, nice. Uh, let's see. <laughs> oh, I had to read Candide in college. I don't know what that is. It was a book uh, written by Voltaire. Bunkfuckers, what books did you have to read in high school and college? Let us know. I know this is a thrilling discussion. What was required reading for you? So bottom line, I've never read Catcher in the Rye, so I only know about it as a cultural reference rather than having actually absorbed it. Right. So from based on all that, it seems pretty lame to me that an adult person would be like obsessed with Catcher in the Rye. Because a lot of people characterize Catcher in the Rye as being like, teenish type angst it is it's literally all teen angst yeah the whole book is just holding caulfield as like this kid and he's like full of teen angst and he just like he hangs out with like a prostitute at one point and he swears a lot he writes like he says fuck and fucking shit is in the book a lot and then he just calls everybody phonies and his whole thing the book the ending of the book spoiler alert is that he has this like dream and he's telling his sister his dream is just like he wants to be in this field with a big catcher's mitt and like all the children are playing and his job is to protect them from falling off the cliff. He'll be the catcher in the rye, the rye field. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's like, I don't know. He just, it's this, I don't know what the fucking motifs are that he just doesn't want to protect people from the hypocrisies of the adult world or something. I don't know. J.D. Salinger never wanted any of his books to ever be published and people went against his fucking with it wishes. So oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. J.D. Salinger said he wrote every book just for himself and it was personal and very private. And he, in his like estate and like wishes upon death, I think was like, don't ever fucking publish my shit ever. And they did it anyway. (laughs) Wow. They're like, these books are too fucking good. Or they like convinced him to do it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they convinced him to publish a few of them. I think I'm wrong. I think maybe they convinced him and he fucking hated it. He was like, this is I hate this. Mm-hmm. This writing is personal just for me. Um, you fuckers published it. With Catcher in the Rye. But anyway. What's the point? Is the, is the book supposed to be ironic? Or is it supposed to be earnest? I don't know, dude. I read that book like over a decade ago. <laughs> I guess my question is like, I don't is J.D. Salinger trying to say like, like yes to all this stuff? Or is he saying uh, like Holden Caulfield is kind of a little douche yeah i don't know it's been a little while since i've read the book i don't really remember much about holden caulfield and his his purpose um i do want to mention quickly though that um it's just an interesting factoid is that yeah so gloria abe and mark david chapman were only married for like a year right before 18 months 18 months before mark david chapman is basically like hey by the way honey i'm thinking about killing john lennon oh oh yeah when he revealed it yeah well, no, then he went and did it, right? Yeah, it's like he went that one the one time before. Right. In like went, October. Right. And he came back and he was like, 
she, he always said he's, he was going to New York City. Right. And then he came back and he was like, oh, I was I went to New York City to try to kill John Lennon, but I didn't go through with it. And she's kind of like, hey, maybe you should work on that. And then. Yeah. And then I think he was angry in uh, like post being arrested at his wife, basically being like, why didn't you fucking stop me? It's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> Just like that's that's a real that's a move I would pull. <laughs> This what is I always your do. fault. Why didn't you t- tell me that I would screw this up? Why didn't you tell me that me killing John Lennon was a bad idea? <laughs> oh, God. Why do I even bother being married? But she has stayed loyal and faithful yeah. to him for their the entire basically the entirety of their marriage. Mm-hmm. He has been locked behind bars and she is only allowed to see him once a year for a for a what is it like a two or three day conjugal visit. 44 hours. 44 hour conjugal visit. So she gets to see him. Less, slightly less than two days. Slightly less than two days a year. And she, in an interview with her, she describes the sex is still good. Yeah. They have great sex. And then they watch TV together and they make pizza. Yeah. They watch TV and make pizza. That is what they do. I have quote from Gloria. I have 44 hours in a trailer home with him. It's a single wide. It has a little kitchen and a bathroom. If I was living there, I could probably go more often. It's not at every prison, but I have to bring all the food. They provide pots and pans. We make a homemade pizza bar by cutting the crust into four, and we lay out all the cut-up peppers, tomatoes, onions, cheeses. We used to have salami. He gets two pieces, and I get two pieces of whatever we want. Mark likes crunchy snacks, but no sweets, like chips, rice crackers, and other good stuff. There is a TV, and we'll watch Wheel of Fortune. I mean, you know, hey, get yourself a ride-or-die partner. Like Gloria Abe. That's yeah. what I'm saying, Andy. Yeah. You need to be more ride or die. <laughs> if I went and murdered if I went and murdered John geez. Lennon, I'm just saying, would my podcast host stick by my side? Yeah. I think I think the thing that we we know uh, at this point is that no, I wouldn't. Like <laughs> I'm the John Lennon in this situation. And <laughs> and you're Gloria Abe. Like you're ride or die and I'm looking out for number one. As soon as, as soon as your problems start to limit me, that's when I'm out. <laughs> that's when you're I'm out, out, baby. Well, Andy, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to talk about with Mr. John Lennon and the CIA and uh, killing him? And uh... <laughs> it, you know, it's just I can see how I could see all the steps. I mean, Mark David Chapman is a good patsy. He really is, and I don't know who funded that trip around the world. I mean, it's very strange. A six-week vacation is a lot for a guy who can't yeah. really hold down a job very well. Yeah. And then again, I don't know. And, you know, Hawaii is an expensive place to live. I don't know if that was still true in the early 70s, but, yeah, like, obviously, like, so much stuff is imported. It's very expensive to live there. Um, That's it, strange. But at the same time, it's like, why John Lennon? Yeah. The other stuff, I think, outweighs that. The strangeness yeah, of that. He has such a big history of like being the uh, exact kind of guy who would do something like this. Yeah. Um, I yeah, mean, I obviously think... you can you can get into the second shooter thing, but where's the basis of proof for that? Yeah, exactly. I don't know, and you know, it's so it's it's funny to me, like with this ballistic stuff, like they didn't do the investigation, so it's kind of like because he kind of basically came out and pleaded guilty and was right. like, "Here's the murder weapon." Here's me. I killed John Lennon. It's me. Hello. It's like you don't really need to conduct a. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kind of 
I'm going to kind of close and shut, but I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, people say that, say that kind of stuff like, oh, well, you know, they didn't do the investigation. The bullet wounds were here and here and all this. And it's like, I don't know. So that stuff is to me. And maybe I'm stupid. All right. I'll fully admit this. Maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe you are. That stuff is confusing. You know, because like when a bullet goes inside your body, it doesn't just, it's not a straight line. No. Like bullets go in and then they hit start, they start hitting things and they like go out all different ways. Like the density of the air is way different than the density of your body. And your body has varying densities at every different like point. So it's not, it's not like the outside of your body is one density and inside your body is a different density. It's all varied. So everything affects how the bullet travels through your body. So it's like, you know, it goes through less dense things like easily and more dense stuff. It's going to like, it might veer, it might travel. So when you start talking about like, well, here's where the exit wounds are. It's like, it doesn't necessarily relate to where the bullet went in. Right. I mean, this is much less open than a JFK situation because it wasn't point blank range. Like this is very, this is very clear. Like these are hollow point rounds being shot at point blank range causing massive exit wounds, profuse yeah. bleeding, um, absolutely just tearing up. That's what hollow point rounds are designed to do. Yeah, they did their job. Go in small and then fucking rupture and yeah. puncture and fucking dis, dis, like just shred. Absolutely just decimate uh, yeah. your whatever the target. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot more than, than a, a sniper shot from <laughs> yeah. the the top of the Texas school book factory or whatever it was school book depository, <laughs> the school book factory, uh, the Texas cheesecake depository. Yeah. The Texas cheesecake depository. And then you've got like Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, it's, it's a similar situation. Lee Harvey Oswald has a history of like kind of having a shitty life and some mental illness. And you know, it's, there was yeah. a lot more questions with that, but I can see why you kill JFK. Yeah. Lee Harvey Oswald is a lot like a Mark David Chapman. I can see why you kill JFK. Why do you kill John Lennon? Why? What's yeah. he been doing? He he's been in out of the limelight for five years, and he's like trying to release an album that didn't sell very well. I think it's I think that what happens is it's someone like Mark David Chapman gets this obsession, right, and is obsessed with it for a long time. Like this isn't a recent obsession for him. No, it's a long time obsession. He's, he's basically been obsessed with it for the whole of the seventies. And it's like what did what did Gloria say that like he lost his job because he got in an argument with a supervisor, uh, and so it's like. He had this, he had a different job that was like more stress, like things were different in his life. And it's like, he probably just got to this point where it's like, it's, it's the edge of the cliff. You know what I mean? Like, he's like the point of no return. He goes to New York and he chickens out and then it's like other stuff happens. It's like, I can do this now. I've already done it once and couldn't do it now all i have to do is pull the trigger he's he's accosting james taylor he's got a whole list of other people he wants to kill i mean <laughs> accosting james taylor is like big deal you know what i mean you like fucking hate james taylor <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> oh my god uh you don't like him no i i don't have really like any actual problem with james Jeez. taylor i just don't i don't particularly i'm not a big james taylor fan wow. in musically speaking wow Clickhole did this uh thing a while ago about james taylor and it's like all the things that james taylor won't ever experience and like some of them were like you know the satisfaction of writing like interesting music or something wow. like that wow jesus christ what the fuck um yeah, maybe I'll look it up and like drop it in the show notes if anybody there you go. <laughs> wants to look at that. 
Well, Andy, let's get to verdicts here. Okay. I'm ready. Did the CIA mark John Lennon for death? I'm going to go plausible quirk on this. Wow. wow. Like, I'm almost to case closed, but, yeah. I, you know, there. this is the same thing with the with the government. Like, he was being followed at one point. Like, there was surveillance. Like, I don't see the motive, but government, take heed. Uh, you do this kind of stuff and you're going to, you're not going to get my case closed verdicts. Okay. If you want to, if you want to see case closed, you got to stop actually surveilling people and being oppressive. Okay. True. So I'm giving you a plausible quirk. Do I really think that Mark David Chapman was a patsy for some government MK ultra type assassination plot? No, not really. Not really. But you know, at the same time, the government made John Lennon a target. So they brought this on themselves. That's true. Plausible uh, quirk. That's true. They brought this on themselves. (laughs) Uh, and I hope they feel the sting of that plausible quirk. <laughs> you know that Nixon's rolling in his grave. Ooh, I hope he is. <laughs> arr, arr, a plausible quirk for me. <laughs> oh no. It's Scooby Doo. Sock it to me. <laughs> do you think Nixon and Elvis party together in the yeah, afterlife? Yeah, they do. Cool. Big time. Cool. Nice. They dude. have peanut butter, bananas, bacon sandwiches. <laughs> And, and then they have sex and Elvis chokes Nixon with a belt. <laughs> it's kind of Nixon's move. Yeah, it's Nixon's go-to. Choke me with a belt. Suck it to me. Banana, banana. That's their safe it's word. safe word. Because they love the minions. <laughs> <laughs> they love the minions. They do. Um, oh, oh, I love those little uh, pill-shaped guys. Oh, I remind, remind Gru reminds me so much of me. <laughs> we have a similar build. Um, all right, my verdict here, Andy, very similar to you, but I'm plausible smidge. Oh, smidge. So I'm on that end of the spectrum too, the end of the scale too, and uh, yeah, I just I don't. If you're going to MK Ultra somebody, it's like, I don't know, you're going to go after like, yeah, like the president or like somebody with more power. I think why kill John Lennon? You're just going to, I mean, I guess you silence him, but like, and you make him stop using his money, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. If you're like the CIA and you want to do something truly evil or cruel, why don't you like bust him for something? Like put him in jail. Yeah. Something. I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, why? Why? Like, I guess I don't know. Hey, you know, I will say, though, I do think that Mark David Chapman is like the perfect patsy. He is. I mean, and I think that helps, like, lend a little bit of fuel to this fire. It does. Because he is such a perfect patsy. He is. Huge history of mental illness, religious fanatic, uh, firearms training, like we mm-hmm. said. I mean, he's got everything you need. All you got to do is just program him. And very Probably very susceptible. And, like, very varied, like, responses afterward. You know yeah. what I mean? Like... You know, like his his reaction to things and stuff he said in the time since the murder, like he said a lot of different stuff. So it's kind of like, I mean, to me, that that like helps muddy the water. So if you're going to say like, oh, well, he's definitely like he's not out there saying like I was a CIA asset. Right. He's saying that I did take a he doesn't come off as credible. So even if he did say that notoriety, I did, you know, yeah, it's like so he's kind of a kind of a perfect. That's that's why it's not a fully 
shut and close case, case, mm. case, case, case close. I'm Mark David Chapman, you brought this on yourself. Mark David Chapman, still getting that strange. Oh yeah, you know you're fucking and eating pizza, pizza bar. Whatever <laughs> a pizza bar is, pizza, pizza bar. <laughs> They're having a pizza bar after after he chokes her with a belt and <laughs> takes her from behind. <laughs> Is that not how everybody... That's missionary position, right? Yeah, that's how it works. That's how sex works. That's how babies are made, Andy. You have to choke your significant other with a belt. <laughs> As you can tell, we've both definitely had sex a lot. 100%. Just not with each other. I've heard of that guy, Admiral Pizza Bar. <laughs> it's a trap! It's, it's pineapple. It's a trap. It's a trap. I like pineapple on a pizza. I don't. Fuck it. Uh, I would say I would MK Ultra shoot pineapple off of a pizza for sure, big time. <laughs> I would sleeper agent wake up uh, a pizza designer at a pizza pizza parlor and have them shoot all the pineapples. <laughs> okay, yikes. <laughs> anyway, bunk fuckers. Speaking of Hawaii, speaking of Hawaii, let us. That was our verdicts on John Lennon versus CIA. Let us know what you think. Use the hashtag. Um. Pizza bar banging. <laughs> Pizza bar banging. And uh, let us know what you think. Email us, MrBunkerPod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at MrBunkerPod. Find us on YouTube, MrBunkerPod. And if you feel so inclined and you want to support the show, find us on Patreon, <laughs> patreon.com forward slash MrBunkerPod. Five bucks a month will get you access to the Bunker Discord, the Bunker Newsletter, and extra episodes of our Patreon-only show, Andy and are debunked. It's patreon.com slash MrBunkerPod. Andy, there's something in the way that you move. You treat me like no other daddy. <laughs> uh, I like to describe my movements as undulations. That's true. You do undulate. Yeah, I'm an undulator. You are. You are the great undulator. The and great undulator. Um... Well, Andy, I think this was a fun topic, and I yeah. think the bunk fuckers are going to enjoy it. Yeah, I hope so. But we got to get out of here, you know. Yeah, we got to yeah. get down to Strawberry Fields and make some jam for our for our kids. Yeah, because we're having a strawberry jamboree. We're having a strawberry jamboree, so we're going to fly to New York City and pick those delicious, mm, fresh strawberries out of Strawberry Fields. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to loiter outside the Dakota. Yep. Uh, but we're not going to shoot anybody. Nope. We're just going to hang out in the shadows. Yeah, like we always do. Like we always do, bunk fuckers. Well, for not the titular Mr. Bunker, but for my agglomeration. <laughs> wow. My agglomeration co-host, Andy Hart. I'm Art Stone saying that was the whole enchilada. Many rivers to cross, but I just can't seem to find my way home. Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s, and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference. 
All that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.